Welcome once again to The Chat Room. Nice to have your company. This is where the chatting gets done about complex subjects and we cover a huge field quite fast. Well, actually, the person who does all the covering is Philip Jensen. Philip, good day. Hello. I've never thought of myself as a cover. As a kind of doona affair. You're a cover man. A cover, a cover man. man. He covers everything. <laughs> uh, what I'm going to ask him to cover this time is the fact that we don't... Well, Christian believers don't all belong to the same tribe. There are times when, we, when our attention is drawn to the fact that there are different clubs or groupings or tribes within Christianity. Particularly happens when, for some reason, Roman Catholicism comes to the fore. The Pope does something and is quoted, or there's a World Youth Day held, or some other event comes along. And suddenly we discover not everyone belongs to the same camp or the same group. Does that matter? That we don't all belong? No, the scripture says it's a good thing. Actually, in 1 Corinthians, there's got to be divisions amongst Jews so that the genuine can be seen. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, the, there's this fairly big division that starts with Martin Luther and the Reformation. Mm -hmm. Now, um, very briefly, <laughs> Mr. Luther, what was this Reformation all about? <laughs> well, the medieval church was a very mixed bag of all kinds of uh, church practices. Um, I mean, the world was, a, was not a very well centralised, organised... We didn't have cyberspace in those days. Yes, so, so people, people couldn't talk to each other all over the place. Oh, no, and you've got very many different languages, different... Many people never left their village. They never travelled anywhere, really. And so the expression of Christianity across Western Europe, which was different to Egypt, which was different to, again, to the Eastern world or down in India, the expression across the Western world was very confused. There were many abuses because it had been caught up in political power and money. I mean, one cardinal was made at the age of three months old because if you became a cardinal, you owned palaces and lands. And so it, it all got muddled. Too much secular power. Too much secular power uh, and uh, too much money. And uh, at that time, there was considerable theological confusion and there was political pressures. The Germans didn't like the Italians and those kinds of pressures as well. Uh, in order to raise money for uh, uh, the building of the church in, in uh, St Peter's in Rome, uh, people were giving special indulgences. They were, they were actually selling them effectively. And so by paying money you could reduce the amount of time, it was said, of your relatives would spend in purgatory. And that was the presenting issue. At that point, things became absolutely absurd. I'll take you back to that business of what indulgences are and how, how they work and so on. But Martin Luther said basically the Roman Catholic Church is theologically wrong. This is, this is where the theological truth is. Tried to change it. They said we don't want to be changed and so it ended up as being a division. Yes and no. He was His answer to a lot of things is yes and no. He was not changing it. He was reforming it. He was right. going back fixing. to where it was. He yeah. was fixing the mess that it had become. Nearly everybody agreed that it was messy. The particular mess that he really got irritated was this indulgence, but there were many other messes, uh, sexual immorality amongst the clergy and the like. That this was but that one then opened up, hang on, what do we believe about big gospel issues? Right. And he went back to those big gospel issues. And that then created the Roman Catholic Church. That was 500 years ago. Yep. The Roman Catholic Church is like all these big complex institutions changed, developed, etc. over that time. Is Luther still right? Is the Roman Catholic Church, in that doctrinal, theological sense, still going down the same road it was going down then? Well, Luther created the Roman Catholic Church. Not how they see it, I don't think. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
But historically? Historically did, because it wasn't until Luther pointed out the errors in common practices that the Pope called a, it was supposed to be an international conference of both Protestants and Roman Catholics, as we would call them, all kinds of people together to a place called Trent, to work out, well, what does the church really teach? But from the very first meeting of the Council of Trent, which was in the 1540s, and it was really after Luther had done what Luther had done, um, it was very clear that they were not interested in Lutheranism. And so they then formulated out what anti-Protestant, you could call it, Catholicism was. So they actually then formulated Roman Catholicism that had never been formulated like that prior to the Reformation. So until the Council of Trent, there was not an anti-Protestant no. body of, of theological belief and knowledge no. and doctrine. And from the Council of Trent, there was, yep. and that's the birth of the and Roman the Catholic Church. And the early reformers were very strong on saying, we believe in what the Church Fathers taught. Right. And so they'd take you back to Augustine. They'd take you back to the early Church Fathers to show they were not saying anything different. And especially they took you back to the Bible to show that it's what the Apostles believed. And so they were not creating anything new. They were reforming the mess back to the Bible. The reaction from Rome was to create what is commonly known as Roman Catholicism today. But there are many aspects of it that were quite uh, um, rejected in earlier days. Well, well let's, let's pursue that idea that that happened Mm -hmm. getting on for 500 years ago and you know, the first Vatican Council, the second Vatican Council happened and, and a lot of people have got the idea, well look, you know, we're all sort of Christians together these days, the differences aren't that big. So if Luther came back today, would he still recognise those differences as being big? Uh, those differences he would recognise as being big. Would he recognise them still inside Catholicism or Roman Catholicism? Yes and no. Roman Catholicism is a very diverse thing, and what you see in the Philippines is not necessarily what you see in the streets of Sydney. Ah. So it, it, uh, it, it has a Protestant face in Protestant world. Um, uh, recently we're getting into the Stations of the Cross here in Sydney, and uh, World Youth Day in 2008, but uh, not all 14 Stations of the Cross are going to be done. Only, I think it's eight of the Stations of the Cross are going to be done. I can't remember the exact number. And the ones that are going to be done are the ones that are in the Bible. Right. But the extra ones, like Veronica, well, they're not in the Bible. They're not going to be done in the streets of Sydney. Now, in one sense, it's because they haven't got time, space and energy to do all of them. Another sense, and it's out of courtesy to Protestants that they choose to leave out the, the, the ones that aren't in the Bible. But if he came into Sydney, saw Roman Catholicism and its stations of the cross, he'd say, oh, and they've cleaned up their act. So there are certain aspects of Catholicism in the Protestant world which is much more acceptable to where Luther would have been. But no, things are actually worse than in Luther's day. Because since uh, Martin Luther's day, the Roman Catholic Church not only calcified itself explicitly against justification by faith alone, or the authority of the scriptures alone, or salvation by grace alone, etc. Not only calcified itself against that back at the Council of Trent, but since then you've had the Vatican one council in the 1870s, which clarified the idea that the Pope uh, can speak infallibly. Well, you know, a, a faithful Roman Catholic would say, well, they're just saying what we've always believed. But in fact, it wasn't until 1870 that it was ever said that this is really 
what the belief is. Since then, we're not too sure how often the Pope has spoken infallibly, but the one occasion which everybody agrees he did was in the 1950s, when he declared that Mary had been bodily assumed from the grave. Well, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, and why would she be bodily assumed from the grave? And it's all part of the Mariolatry that has come in. So has been identified the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Uh, that is, that Mary was without sin. Well, that's nowhere in the Bible. And so, since the Reformation, we've had the infallibility of the Pope, the immaculacy of the sinlessness of Mary, the bodily assumption of Mary. Uh, these things show you that Roman Catholicism has moved since the Reformation, but it's moved further away from us, not closer to us. For Martin Luther, the presenting issue was indulgences. Yes. The, the idea that purgatory existed and you'd get time off in purgatory if you did something or other or paid some money, you know. There's a coin in the coffer, rings, a soul from purgatory, springs, all that stuff. A lot, you and I belong to, don't belong to that club, we belong to the Protestant club, and a lot of people who belong to the same club as us, Protestants, would be, I think, surprised to discover that 500 years later, indulgences still exist. We think, oh, well, that was back then, but the act has been cleaned up and they don't do silly things like that now, or they don't think we think are wrong. But indulgences still exist today, 500 yes. years later, in exactly the same way as disturbed the basic gospel issues that concerned Luther? Uh, not exactly the same way in the sense that they've cleaned up their act. You would never get someone like Mr Turtzel who said that thing about putting yep, the coins yep. in. And that kind of crass superstition is not there. But the fundamental idea that the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ has a, a, a kind of treasury of merit which you can uh, have given to you by the Pope, by a special indulgence for a particular activity, uh, is still there. So in our world, Youth Day here in Sydney in uh, 2008, those pilgrims who go to St Mary's Cathedral um, with the right attitude of heart and perform the right services are given an indulgence. And the indulgences are still available. They're not sold like of, of yesteryear, but the concept is the same. Now, Luther is horrified by the terrible abuse. Once he starts looking at it, he says, oh, hang on, it's not just the abuse of indulgence, it's indulgences themselves that are wrong. Right. And the reason indulgences are wrong is because the gospel has not been understood properly. Um, so you wouldn't see the abuse of indulgences now, but you still see the indulgences. Yes, they're still around. Catholicism has not changed except to move further away from Protestantism. Well, take us to those basic gospel issues that underlie this notion of indulgences. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of his people. We think that if we turn to him and trust ourselves to him and say, you take over running my life, I am you, and mean it, then we're saved. And what he's done for us on the cross is ours. What does Roman Catholicism say? Um, uh, putting the preface in that, Roman Catholicism and Roman Catholics are not always the same thing. Right. And that Roman, Catho Roman Catholicism, in a sense, is the broad gathering of people, many of whom do not understand particular theological views. It's so we're not talking about the members of the club, we're talking about the, the, the club's yeah, constitution. If its teachings is that you are, you are saved by grace, but they mean something different by the word grace. Grace is the power of God 
specially mediated to you through the sacraments by which you can live a good life. And so you're saved by the death of Jesus, especially as you receive the death of Jesus through baptism or through the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the Mass, because by those sacraments that only the church can give, so you've got to be a member of the church, by those sacraments you have the power within you, you have fanned into flame the divine spark within you to live a life that is acceptable to God. So you go to confession and receive forgiveness, but you also receive in that sacrament the power to live differently and better. So in the end, you're, you are saved by grace, but you're saved by your good works. So when Jesus dies on the cross, everything that he achieves is not there for his people. No. Immediately, it goes into storage. Yes. And this organisation... Yeah, yes. And this, this organisation... Dispenses it. Dispenses it. We'll take yeah. a bit out of the storage and give it to you. Yeah, that's right. And so belonging to the church is absolutely critical. There's no salvation outside the church, and no other church is really a true church. So the ministry of uh, an Anglican minister is not a recognised... I cannot dispense this kind of storage of God's grace to people because I haven't been approved by the Pope, I haven't been ordained by the Pope. And so the Pope becomes, the way of salvation is different, but lying behind it then becomes the massive authority of the church. You must belong to this church. Now, in Vatican II, there was a an opening up of you know, people separated brothers and things like that. But with, with all due respects to the, the, the genuineness of their attempts to be more ecumenically open, and certainly I'm appreciative of the sense of which we can now live in a tolerant acceptance of each other, uh, it was only a year or two ago that the Pope made it quite clear that uh, uh, Anglican Church, Presbyterian, we are sex, we are cults, we are not the true church. And so you, you, you can't get salvation through us. Uh, you've moved into fairly serious deviation. Um, uh, and so Protestants can be very warm and fuzzy towards uh, Roman Catholicism, but it's not actually reciprocal. We are not really seen as God's people in Christ Jesus because the Pope is seen as the vicar of Christ. Now, from a Bible-believing point of view, that is an appalling uh, blasphemy because the Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. So the word vicar means a substitute. Someone who's vicarious, who stands in the place yes. of. Yep. So Christ's sacrifice is a vicarious sacrifice because he has been sacrificed in my place and in your place. And so the word vicar means someone who stands in the place of. So uh, a clergyman who's a vicar is someone who's standing in the place of the bishop or the rector or something yes. like that. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ dies and rises and goes to heaven, who now stands in his place as his substitute in this world? Well, John chapters 14 to 17, he tells us the Holy Spirit comes to do that. His own spirit, yes. His own spirit. He sends into the world to convict us of sin and of righteousness and the judgment to come and to bring us to new birth and to give us the benefits of the gospel. But no, within Catholicism, it is the church that gives us the benefit of the gospel. And it is the Pope who is the vicar of Christ, who stands as Christ to the world. Well, he's taking unto himself, therefore, the role of the Holy Spirit. Well, no, we're not really in agreement. 
When we talk about these things, we can see, well, look, the Bible says this and Roman Catholic doctrine says that, and we can see a clash. But, but what about the experience of being a Roman Catholic? Yes. That, that doesn't, that, that seems to me not to arise. Being in a, I mean, all my friends who are Roman Catholics, they belong. It's like a bigger family or a, a grouping they belong to. It's, it's, it's a badge. Uh, it's to do with experience, where they have some great experiences. But all of that specific teaching never arises for them. Yep. Um, you, you start off using the word tribal, and there is a certain tribalism of Protestants and tribalism of Catholic, Catholics, Roman Catholics, and, and there's, there's tribalism of, of, of Baptists and tribalism of Presbyterianism. And tribalism is nearly always bad. Um, uh, just because I've been born into a particular family or gone to a particular school, that doesn't make it right. I mean, that, that is a, a dreadful way to come to truth or to live a life, really. Yes. Well, to quote a Roman Catholic, Chesterton said, you know, saying my group right or wrong is like saying my mother drunk or sober. You've got, you've got, to, you've got to make a, a distinction as to whether your group is getting it right or not. Yes, that's right. And so that's a problem. However, because Roman Catholicism is about salvation in the church and through the church, the tribalism is more important than individual belief because you see the gospel is mediated to us by the holy spirit persuading me individually of the truth that jesus is christ that jesus is the lord that jesus has died for the salvation of my soul so for a protestant you are a protestant because you believe a particular set of doctrines yes catholicism you are saved because the church is dispensing to you grace so what is fundamental to them is that you belong to the church. So what you actually believe in your head, well, a Roman Catholic priest would be horrified for me to say this because they think it is important that Roman Catholics believe Roman Catholic teaching. It actually is not as important as it is because we choose as Protestants to believe and therefore join. They choose to, uh, they, they are, they're already joined and therefore choose to believe. So it comes as a secondary thing. So when talking to my average Roman Catholic neighbour, they generally understand almost nothing about Roman Catholic teaching. They just understand that Roman Catholicism is the true church, and they belong to that, and therefore they need to go to Mass, and they believe Jesus is God, they believe there are certain fundamental things they will believe, but how they differ from Protestants, how they differ from the Bible, uh, when I ask, have you read the Gospels, they nearly always say yes. When I check what that means, it means they hear the Gospel reading at Mass. But they never read Mark's Gospel through, or never's too strong a word. They, my, my neighbours hardly ever have actually owned a Bible and read Mark's Gospel. But Mark's Gospel is referred to in the Mass. Right, right. So what they mean is they've heard bits of it read yes. when they went along uh, for the Mass, which is part of them belonging to the yes. group. and that, and so that the experience. biggest crime that you can do within Roman Catholicism is to cease to be a Roman Catholic. You can be a lapsed Catholic, you can be an unbelieving Catholic, but once, or a rebellious you, Catholic or once you leave and become a Protestant, well then you've denied the faith. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, Christians in Sydney who were raised in the tribe of Roman Catholicism. You know, I, mean, I would know about a dozen ordained Anglican ministers who started their life as Roman Catholics in that tribe. And for every one of them, when they became Christians by understanding the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit in their lives, it led them into family conflict. Mm. 
because the whole family said, you're denying us, you're leaving us, you're deserting us. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said that he came to separate mother from father, child from brother from sister and the like. But it is very sad because instead of listening to what the person has now been persuaded of by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, they're just saying, no, my tribe right or wrong. You're leaving our tribe, this my, is wrong. My experience when I talk to my Catholic friends is if I want to start talking about who Jesus is and why he came and what he's done, or open a Bible, the normal response is to say, I'm a Catholic. Yes. So in yes. other words, it's not to discuss this point or that point, it's to say, I'm a I'm Catholic. Catholic. I don't need In that. other words, We used yes. to hand out, at the university, we used to hand out leaflets to invite people to Bible study. The Pope himself says it's important for people to study the Bible. He's quite happy for it. And even there's been ecumenical statements about it's important to actually study it with others. But whenever we handed it out, people would say, oh no, I'm a Catholic. Right. Which is horrifyingly embarrassing to the Roman Catholics because they believe in the Bible too. So, but the, I don't need the Bible. I, I've, I've got the church. They will tell me everything I need to know. I don't need to study it myself. If you're watching and you're a, a Roman Catholic and you're thinking, I'm really irritated by those two blokes talking like this, what do we say to a Roman Catholic? We don't, we don't want to offend Roman Catholic friends. Um, you know, we want to tell them what it is we believe and why it really matters. What do we say? What, what do we talk about? Well, firstly is to say uh, we are fellow creatures in God, under God's creation and so we certainly want to live in peace and harmony with people and the idea that you go to war on these issues and kill each other is appalling. Uh, we know you believe it's appalling and we believe it's appalling and we're very glad that that period of time is over. So sectarianism, bad thing in very that sense. Very bad thing. Yep. Very bad thing. Um, uh, and we, we mustn't allow that uh, dreadful head to rise again because that is a dreadful thing. Tolerance means you and I disagree with each other but we agree to get on with life without allowing our disagreements to destroy our, our meal together. It doesn't mean relativism. You believe one thing, I believe another thing that's opposite and we're both right. Mm. And so if Protestantism is right, Roman Catholicism is wrong. If Roman Catholicism is right, Protestantism is wrong. Uh, we can live happily with that difference, but in the end one of us is right and one of us is wrong. I don't want you to join my tribe and I don't want to join your tribe I think we both always need to go back to the scriptures and be persuaded that we are doing that which God has spoken and told us to do. So there'd be a bunch of things we've got in common. We could talk about the fact that we are creatures of God, made, yes. made by the loving maker and ruler of the world. Yes. We would agree about the fact that we're sinners, we're yes. people in rebellion against God. Yes, although that comes out differently. Because right. the degree of sinfulness that we uh, teach is usually different to the average Roman Catholic's understanding. Because we understand it as being a basic rebellion against God's rule of our lives. The whole of our lives. And there is nothing good that we can do for anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Whereas there is a tendency within Roman Catholics, not necessarily the teaching of Roman Catholicism, but most Roman Catholics believe that they fundamentally there is the divine spark of goodness left. Yes, I remember having lunch with a Roman Catholic once and he said that to me and I really, I found it hard to understand what he was talking about. Mm. But there was, what, what, what do you mean by divine spark and goodness inside us? And yes. I couldn't tune into that at no, all. Because the Bible is very clear that there is nothing good in us and, and there is no one that is good. And so even there we part company a little. Right. 
we, we would agree that there's judgment coming. Yes. And, and that there's rewards and punishment after death. Yes. And that sin matters and yep. that evil matters and that right and wrong matter. And uh, there's lots of agreement about uh, some social issues. We are very concerned about uh, abortion. We have a slightly different view of it, but very concerned about it. And, um, but there are other ones in which we have differing social values. Uh, gambling. We see gambling as always covetousness and therefore always wrong, whereas covetousness is not as significant a part of the, the Roman Catholic which is Which is part of that picture of what sin actually is yes. and what it isn't. Yes. Um, in basic gospel terms, we both agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, God, and God come, the Son. God mm. the Son, come into this world yes. who has died to save his people, to yes. pay for our sins, for our wrongdoings, our failures, our failings, yes. in his death on the cross. Yes, but what, how he pays for our sin is different. That is, the emphasis of the New Testament is, is really on this propitiation, turning aside the wrath of God against sinful mankind. And so that the payment of sin is full and complete, finished and over. Once for all. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, done with to bring us to God. And so the big crunch difference then comes in how we receive that. They would want to receive the benefits of the death of Jesus through the cross, through the church and through its sacraments and by the mass reparticipating in that act of Jesus' death on the cross. Whereas we want to say something like it's not about your religion, it's about your relationship with God right. and you need to turn back to him. And trusting in what he did back then alone. Yep. Nothing else, just faith alone. Just, just through, through our trust in him and our commitment to him, belonging to him, yes. coming under his command, yes. acknowledging his sovereignty, his rule in yep. our lives. Yes. Philip, we've done what we always do with these things. We have just scratched the surface of an enormous topic, haven't we? Oh, yes. I mean, the last 500 years of history... Millions of people, all kind. I mean, almost anything you want to say on the subject Roman Catholicism or Protestantism, I can show you acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so big, I'm just wondering if we should recommend a book. There is a book called Nothing in My Hand I Bring, which I'm yeah by Ray Galea, which is a good little book and well yep. worth. Uh, not a big book. No, no so. short enough for an easy read. An old Protestant head like mine to get around. <laughs> and he's not a reader, prefers movies to reading. <laughs> so if you want to research this some more, there's that book, uh, Nothing in My Hand I Bring by Ray Galea. Talk about these things, talk about them with your friends, uh, with your family, in your Bible study group, and keep thinking about them. Philip, thank you for your company once again. It's a pleasure. And thank you for your company, and we look forward to your company once again next time on The Chat Room.